Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good week. Hope you had a good weekend. The Buffalo Bills got a win. And it wasn't the win a whole lot of people wanted. But And, and last week, uh, I'm going to start right here. Last week, I said the Bills had to go to New York and dominate the Jets. Coming off the two-game losing streak, they lost to Kansas City, got embarrassed by Tennessee. They actually played with Kansas City, but it wasn't, in my opinion, a game that I ever felt the Bills were going to win. So to go to New York and get a convincing win would have been great. And that's what I wanted when I talked last Tuesday. But obviously, things change. The injury situation for the Bills was bad defensively. Tredavious White was able to play. Matt Milano was able to play. You know those who aren't close to 100%, but they're out there playing. Cam Lewis was out. Josh Norman was out. Of course, Levi Wallace still on IR. So you're looking at a situation where they have to bring up a kid, Dane Jackson, from the practice squad, a seventh-round pick out of Pitt, and he makes an impactful play. The way the week was going, on Saturday I said to anyone who was listening, which generally is my friends, that the Jets would give the Bills all they could handle, and the Bills might win, but it's not going to be easy. And that's exactly what happened. Sunday in the Meadowlands. Tyler Bass had six field goals. Now, look, I hate kickers, so I'm biased in this assessment. Six for eight for an NFL field goal kicker when your misses are from 37 and 45 isn't a great game. When you're a young kicker and you have eye black under one eye, what the hell are you doing? When you've missed two field goals, by the way, it's your job. You know, you're six of eight in field goals it's below average in the nfl now and you're talking trash to the jets after making the final one it wasn't i'm not a tyler bass fan let me just say that i'm not a kicker fan but i think this kid is somebody who can grow into an effective kicker in the nfl i don't think he's there yet six field goals is great two missed field goals is bad you can't do that in the NFL in close football games. And because of Tyler Bass's inability to make those field goals, this was a one-possession game right up until the very end. What I found interesting about this game, it was unlike any game we've seen so far this year. This was a game where the Bills' defense asserted themselves after halftime. They gave up four yards after halftime. That's pretty good. <laughs> You'll win a lot of football games playing defense like that. This was a game that in the first half, the Jets were controlling. And at the end of the first half, Sam Darnold did what Sam Darnold has done since I've been watching him in USC. Sam Darnold would be cruising along, and you look at him, and you're like, man, this guy, he can play. He can make all the throws. He's mobile. He stays alive in the pocket well. But then two, three, four times a game, Sam Darnold will make a play that you just look at and go, what the hell was that? And he did that at the end of the first half. Dane Jackson, the kid called up from the practice squad, intercepts him. And, and right then and there, I thought the tenor of the game changed. It was 10-3 to 3 at that point. The Bills effectively, and Josh Allen and Cole Beasley, credit to them because they get the Bills in position for Bass to come out and kick a field goal and make it 10-6 to 6 at halftime. McDermott challenged the defense at halftime. 
Andre Roberts was a villain in, in a game earlier this year against the Chiefs, or against, I'm sorry, against the Titans, comes out at halftime with a big kickoff return, gives the Bills position to do something with it on the other side of the 50, and, and the, the momentum has switched now. When you're playing a winless team and you're a good team, the worst thing that can happen, and the announcers talked about this during the broadcast, don't give the Jets confidence. Well, the Jets went into halftime with less confidence than they were going to because of Sam Darnold's bad interception. The Bills were never able to get in the end zone. They never punted. Eight field goal attempts tells you that they moved the ball pretty well. Josh Allen on the day, 307 yards. He didn't have a touchdown. He didn't have an interception. He did fumble when he was hitting the pocket, so he had a turnover. For the year now, Allen's 67% completion percentage, 67.6. 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. We're nearing the halfway mark of the season, so we're getting a look at what those season-ending totals may look like. And for Josh Allen, to have this growth in year three, it gives the Bills confidence that they've got the right guy. And I'm going to go back to Sam Darnold again because when we go back to that draft, a lot of people were saying Sam Darnold was the one sure guy. You knew what you were getting Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield, in the right situation, he could thrive. Josh Allen, raw piece of clay. you got to figure out a way to develop him. And if you can ever harness his mechanics, the arm talent's there. Lamar Jackson – such a freak athlete, there's potential. What can you do? Josh Rosen was a pro-ready passer. Now, three years later, we're looking at this. Sam Darnold, first off, I don't think he'll be the quarterback in New York next year. I, I believe he needs to go somewhere, get in a better situation where they can develop his skills and try to get him to minimize those negative plays because right now the negative plays are killing him. But overall, through five games this year, Sam Darnold's numbers, and he was 12 of 23 for only 120 yards on Sunday. He started 10 for 12. Think about that. You start 10 for 12, you end up 12 for 23. You're telling me Sam Darnold's no better than going two for 11 in the second half of that game? It's brutal. Anyway, Darnold's 58% completion percentage. He's got three touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 65 quarterback rating. After this year, the Jets will likely have the number one pick because they are the worst team in, NFL, in the NFL. They're going to try to select the kid from Clemson who is just fantastic, Trevor Lawrence. But Lawrence could stay in school. You remember many years ago when Bill Parcells was running the Jets, Peyton Manning had the opportunity to come out after his junior year. The Jets had the number one overall pick that year. If Peyton Manning comes out, he's the number one overall pick, and the Jets have Peyton Manning. Well, he didn't come out. And the Jets go on to have quarterback carousel that continues to this day. And Trevor Lawrence could basically do the same thing. Lawrence is a kid who loves college football, and why wouldn't you? Playing at Clemson's got to be a good time when you're the big man on campus and the best player in the country. That's got to be a lot of fun. So what he does after the year is going to be greatly impactful for this Jets franchise. So we'll be very interesting to see how this plays going forward. It's going to 
play out in a way, in my opinion, that Sam Darnold goes somewhere else. The Jets get maybe a third-round pick back for him. And the place that I think he should go, and I think it would be a great fit for him, is Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger is playing well, and but he's nearing the end. Let's be honest. You can't play forever. Go there, sit a year behind Ben, and learn to redevelop your mechanics. See, his mechanics and footwork get so bad when the pocket collapses, and I think that leads to a lot of the mistakes. That and the decision-making is just bad. But the Bills' defense had a lot to do with it in the second half. The pass rush kicked up like we haven't seen in a long time. Six sacks on the day. Now, the Jets' offensive line. Is terrible. Other than the rookie kid, Becton, their left tackle, who I think is just an absolute stud. Watch that kid play. He's a giant of a man. He is huge. 6'7", 364 is what he's listed at. And I bet you he's more like 400. But he moves well. He is a dominant blocker in the run game. He's getting better in the pass game. The Jets at least did something right in the draft because that kid's a beast. Jerry Hughes had a great game. Two sacks, several pressures, an interception at the end of the game. He had six tackles. And, you know, I think this is one of those moments that could be a turning point. You see it a lot with teams where things are going and and they're not performing the way they should. Then something happens. They flip a switch. When they flip that switch and things change, all of a sudden that team gets a little better. And I think the defensive team of the Buffalo Bills could flip a switch. Now, they've got an opportunity to continue this momentum, and I think that's important this week when they get into the game against the Patriots. What I Before I get to that, I, I want to talk about something else. I think the Bills did a better job in the second half anyway of trying to run the football. Allen threw the ball 43 times, but they did get 15 carries out of Singletary and Moss. Moss was very effective. Had, in my opinion, the best game he's had as a pro. Allen also ran the ball 11 times. There were several designed runs in there. So it was obvious that they were trying to develop a running game, and I think that's important. As the season goes along, you want to be multifaceted. If, if you're only Josh Allen and the wide receivers, teams are going to play nickel. And if they're going to play nickel or dime package against you, you've got to be willing to make them pay. And you can do that by running the football. So a, a good game for the Bills. they got to win. It, it's the only thing that matters. They improved to 5-2. and two. They now come home to play the Patriots. And this is a game with the Patriots that they have to get. They have to have this win. The Patriots are not the Patriots we've known for the last 20 years. Cam Newton was benched on Sunday and didn't have a good game at all. 9 of 15, 98 yards, he threw three picks. Belichick said after the game, Cam's his quarterback going further. He was just looking to get Jared Stidham some experience. Stidham on his part, 6 of 10, he threw a pick as well, 64 yards. The Patriots' offensive personnel is below average. It's, it's Julian Edelman is the guy we always think of as the Patriots go-to wide receiver. He had one catch on Sunday afternoon. Now, I wouldn't be surprised at some point in the near future we see the Patriots try to do something with Edelman, maybe get him out of town and get a draft pick back for him. 
I think I still think there's a place in the NFL for Edelman. I just don't think New England has the ability to use him. And we had two and four. I don't think they'll ever cash it in and break it all down. But if you're going to not make the playoffs and you've got an asset, you can get something back that helps you going forward. I think you do that. And I think that's something the Pats should really take a look at with Julian Edelman. There are enough receiver needy teams out there that Edelman could be a help for them. I want you to listen. Cam Newton's an interesting guy. In the early part of the season, it was fantastic in New England. Belichick loved him. He's a hard worker. The success was there. And since the COVID shutdown of the Patriots, it hasn't been the same. It wasn't the same last week. And, you know, I get it. They played a very good 49ers defense this week. Although they're banged up, there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball. But they got blown out by the 49ers. Make no mistake. Cam Newton's a guy who is polarizing. And I want you to listen to former NFL quarterback Jeff Garcia talk about Cam not on the field so much, but his overall persona as it relates to an NFL football team. You go into this game, two touchdowns, four interceptions. You throw, what, three more interceptions? You get yanked in the second half. There's nothing good going your way. Why are you dressing like that to bring more attention to yourself? I'd be trying to ask the equipment managers, put me in your jock sock cart and sneak me in the back door and I'll show up on the field and do Wait, the best that I Jeff, can. This sounds like you're speaking from too much experience here. Okay, this sounds you know like you're what? speaking I mean, from this, experience. This just goes back to a couple years of just watching this guy and seeing him at the podium, but yet what he's doing on the field does not translate to being that guy. Like and Joe I just Montana. feel like... I mean, uh, Joe Namath. Yeah. The, oh, know, yeah, the coat. Right. The fur like coat. coat. Yeah, yeah, when you, hey, when you predict you're going to win a Super Bowl and you go out and do it, wear whatever the hell you want. <laughs> but, you know, right now, I'm not buying it. I always think of when I hear that, the old Bull Durham scene, when Nuke Lelouch finally gets called up to the bigs and he's having a talk with Crash Davis and Crash said, you know, when when you get to the show, when you're successful, you have dirty, dirty shoe, shower shoes, you're colorful. That's the bottom line. When Cam Newton's playing well, the postgame outfits that he comes up with are, man, Cam played well. Did you see what he wore? When he doesn't play well, it's, what the hell is he dressing like that for? He just got his ass kicked. And I don't know that one has anything to do with the other. I, I find Cam's dress style to be just strange. I just don't get it. But whatever. From all accounts, it's a great teammate. He took responsibility for his bad play. In a radio interview yesterday with a Boston radio station, he talked about that he's got to be better. And if not, he should be benched. He deserved to be benched. And by and large, Cam's teammates love him as a teammate and as a leader. The outside world looks at what we see because we don't know. 
We're not in the locker room. We don't go to practice. We don't see who's working hard and who's being a leader. We just see the guys walk in. And in Cam, it looks like Mr. Peanut one day. It looks like Minnie Pearl with a scarf another day. I don't know what the hell he's doing. But if he was a good quarterback and playing well, I don't think a whole lot of people would be getting on him about the way he dresses. I just found that a strange criticism for a guy from a guy, Jeff Garcia, who's had success playing in the league and why he's going there with it. I don't know. So the bills catch the Patriots at a good time. The bills are getting healthier. They actually came out of the jets game in very good shape. The Patriots are floundering offensively. That defense is still very good. But if you're only one-sided, defense is asked to do way too much, and I don't think it's a situation that can be good for the entire football team. You've got to be able to play multiple facets of the game. So the Bills get the Pats at a good time. They're 5-2. and two. They, they now finish up the first part of the season. They're in first place by a little bit over the Dolphins, who are three and three. The Pats are only two and four. Tua Tugaviola makes his first start this weekend for the Dolphins. We know that after last week, they tried to kill the cockroach. You can't kill him. Fitzy will be back. The Dolphins, I think, probably take a step back because of Tua. I thought that Fitz, the way he was playing and the way the team reacted to him was a big part of their success. I understand Brian Flores' decision, why he made it. I'm sure this was a blueprint all along. You've got a bye week. That's the time to make that change. It just happened to come at a time when the team was playing very good football. So I didn't like the timing of it, but I understood the timing of it. So I would expect the Dolphins to fall back a little bit. The Bills have a chance now at 5-2, and two, going against the Patriots, finish the first half at 6-2. and two. Second half, significantly tougher. They The following two weeks, they, they play Seattle, and then they go out to Arizona. We saw a game this weekend with Seattle and Arizona. Those are two good football teams. Bills are going to have their work cut out for them in the second half. Of course, the Steelers are on their docket. The 49ers are on their docket. It, it's not going to be easy the second half of this season. That's why this game against New England is just that important. Get to 6-2, and two, maybe put another nail in the Patriots' coffin at 6-2 and two, and see if you can start to distance yourself in terms of the division. Goal one, win the division. Goal two, maybe get a home playoff game, although I believe they'll be in a bubble when the playoffs come and without the fan support, the home crowd it's not really that big a deal anyway but goal 1a should be winning a playoff game and i think all of those things i just said could go a long way to helping the bills get over that hump remember this is a team now that's been ascending now for two years eventually you've got to take that next step for the bills the next step is to win a playoff game and then you continue forward so All of those things are predicated on getting things done in the regular season. Bills have a chance to get it done, and I think they have a chance to really hurt the team that has kept them down 
for the better part of the last two decades. So big game Sunday against the Patriots. And I can only think of this. Here we are in this COVID world where we can't go to games. The Bills are five and two. The Patriots are two and four. Do you know what Ralph Wilson Stadium, and I'm not calling it Bills Stadium. That's just freaking stupid. Ralph Wilson Stadium would have been like had the fans 70,000 strong been there. They'd be tailgating today up there, getting ready for Patriots week. That's It's just another unfortunate part of the current time that we are living in. I, I just – things like this that really affect the way I feel about our world because it bums me out that we can't see a great atmosphere like that in a game as important as this. The NFL week six was or week seven was an interesting week. A lot of things went on this week. One one of the best games of the week was two undefeated teams going at it, the Titans and Steelers. Steelers get up to a big lead. And you know, it's it's funny. The Steelers, I think they've kind of been under the radar till now, but they're the last unbeaten team. That defense is and I've talked about it a bunch of times on the podcast continues to get better and better. Minka Fitzpatrick, the final piece to that puzzle, has just been so impactful. They rush the passer well. They cover well. The linebackers have speed. A lot of great things going on with the Steelers defensively. Offensively, having Ben back and Chase Claypool added to that wide receiver core. It's just a complete football team. But they let down in the second half. And Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill, they're not ever going to go away. But Tennessee has a problem. Steven Gostowski, who is one of the better kickers in the history of the game, is a problem. If you're missing a very makeable field goal to send the game in overtime, that's a problem. He missed a bunch of field goal attempts the first week of the season. He's been erratic, and I get it that, you know, you, who do you bring in? You bring in another young kid. The Bills have a young kid, and he's not dependable. Gostowski, you got to figure he's been there, done that. But kicking is kind of like the golf swing. And if you think about it, the approaches are actually very similar. But kicking comes and goes like a golf swing, comes and goes. Some guys do it for a long time, and all of a sudden they lose it for a while they got to work to get it back. The key for the Titans is, can Gostowski get it back before it becomes too much? I mean, think about this in a playoff game. You get an opportunity to tie it up with a very makeable field goal at the end of regulation in a playoff game, and he boots it wide right? Can't have it. Can't happen. So it'll be interesting to see how much longer they stick with him. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if they cut him today, frankly. I'm sure they're bringing people in, but unless you're going to go with a young kid with a strong leg or a retread who you hope can get it done more often, it is a bad situation for Tennessee, a team with very high aspirations. You can't have a kicker hold you back. Talked about it with the Bills. Same with Tennessee. So, that was a good game. Man, the Atlanta Falcons, they are just snake bit this year. And frankly, if I'm a Falcon fan, I'm thinking, good, keep losing. 
you've got Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Matt Ryan has had a great career. I think he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Let him finish out somewhere else, get a new regime in, and rebuild and, and retool. And while I'm talking about drafting a quarterback, their defense is awful. That's the real problem. Look, Todd Gurley scored a touchdown. He didn't want to score because it left too much time on the clock. The reality is the defense gives up a, a touchdown on the last play of the game. You can't have that. It can't happen. It was a weird play in that game just before the touchdown. Stafford throws a pass to Kenny Galladay, one of the more underrated players in the league, great wide receiver. Galladay catches it at about the seven. And they review it, look at it, because it was close. He caught it. If you watch the touchdown to Hawkinson, the next play, the play took, took place from the eleven. I don't know how they lost four yards. I don't know how that happened in an NFL football game, but it did. It's crazy. You go from the seven to the 11, and you didn't run a play. Nothing happened. It was very strange. If you see those highlights again, pay attention to that. It's very bizarre. Atlanta now, and I hate this win probability statistic, it's in all sports and ESPN because they have to promote everything. They have their win probability percentage and it's stupid because of what happened Sunday, but the Falcons became the first team in history since they started doing this to have three times achieved a win probability in game of over 98% and lose those games. It just shows how stupid the win probability stat is but also points out how Atlanta has found a way to lose games that nobody else could possibly lose. The Battle of Ohio was fun this weekend. Joe Burrow's great. Joe Burrow has only won one game for the Bengals this year, but this kid, if the Bengals can surround him, they've found their guy. They have definitely found their guy. 400 yards, had a bunch of TDs, went toe-to-toe with Baker Mayfield, and Baker had a great second half. Ironically enough, that was after Odell Beckham Jr. went out. Now, Beckham's out for the year with a torn ACL. Baker had five touchdowns. He completed, I think it was 21 passes in a row in the second half of that game. Gets a touchdown pass very late in the game uh, with just seconds remaining. To, to get the win there, and it was a great throw. Does Baker start to take off a little bit now? Because Odell's out. Something to watch for there. That was a great game. I, I got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys because they are a team that has a huge fan base, and I'm a member of that. They're also a team that's cursed by their owner. Jerry Jones enables players. Jerry Jones decides on coaching staffs, he'll hire a head coach and generally not let that coach hire his coordinators. Kellen Moore is a holdover this year. Injuries are a big part of the story in Dallas, and that can't be denied. Travis Frederick, their all-pro center, walked away before the start of the year. Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith, both pro Bowl players at tackle, they're out for the year. This past week, Zach Martin, an all-pro guard, 
out for the year. That's four Pro Bowl players on your offensive line who are out. There's been other injuries to some of the guys who have replaced those guys. So the offensive line is in shambles. The Dak Prescott injury changed the season greatly. Andy Dalton is about as mobile as I am, which isn't very good. And he holds the ball too long. It's a very bad combination when you've got a very bad offensive line. And while I'm talking about the offense, the defense has given up an average of 35 points a game. Um, breaking news, you don't win many football games giving up 35 points a game. But that's only part of the problem in Dallas. Mike McCarthy, the new head coach, has not exactly endeared himself to this team. He has had trouble getting this team to buy in. And it was never more evident than on Sunday when Andy Dalton slid in and got concussed. Dalton took a cheap shot from John Boston. Terrible cheap shot. Was ejected from the game, but not one cowboy stood up for him. As he laid on the on the field, just in agony and pretty much knocked out, not one cowboy took up for him. That can't happen. Football is the ultimate team game. Football isn't about fractured locker rooms. It's about unity. Sean McDermott preached about the process and culture when he came to Buffalo. A lot of people thought that was crap. I didn't buy into it. But I'll tell you what, that can't happen. Josh Allen gets hit like that, guarantee somebody is throwing a punch at John Boston. Before the game, earlier in the week, unnamed sources talked about McCarthy and his coaching staff not having the wherewithal to know what they're doing. Listen to former Cowboy coach and, I think, brilliant analyst now, Jimmy Johnson, discuss unnamed sources speaking out in the locker BS. I mean, unnamed players uh, criticizing the coaching. You know, if you're not going to put your name on it, keep your mouth shut and play. Now, you look at these defensive players, maybe they're not quite as good as they think they are. You know, the last few years, they had Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard, you know, high-energy coaches, and they overachieved. Now, they went from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So many defense players don't really know what they're doing. They're not motivated, and they're underachieving. Now, I still think this team is talented enough to win the NFC East. If that offensive line, even though they've got a ton of injuries, can protect Andy Dalton, those receivers will score a bunch of points. Yeah, that can't happen. You can't have people with their own agenda. You can't have leaks in the locker room. The Cowboys' secondary is pathetic. Their linebacking core is underachieving. Jalen Smith has regressed terribly, playing out of position. Leighton Van Der Esch is back, and it's made no difference because their defensive tackles are so bad they can't people keep people off the feet of the linebackers. They've got pass rushers with Alden Smith and Everson Griffith, Griffin, and you look even with Demarcus Lawrence, yet they're not getting pressure on the quarterback. Change needs to come in Dallas, and I don't think that change that needs to come will come anytime soon because Jerry Jones is the problem. He will always be the problem. The players feel empowered because of Jerry Jones. He protects them. He goes over the head of the coach 
to protect them. Can't happen. Cannot have that sort of situation. And because of that, the Cowboys are going to continue to be a bad football team and a bad organization till Jerry Jones is no longer part of that organization. It is going to be interesting to see what happens in Big D. And you get blown out by the Redskins and Kyle Allen right now, 25 to 3. That's a bad look. That is a very bad look. The Chiefs rolled Sunday against Denver, and that was fun because it was a snow game. Patrick Mahomes threw one touchdown pass, didn't have a good game, didn't have a bad game, didn't have much of a game. The fact is that this Chiefs team is evolving. Le'Veon Bell was part of this game on Sunday. He and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran the ball very well. You also have that defense getting better and better. So it's funny that the Chiefs over the last couple of weeks get wins in Buffalo and in, in Denver, and not because of Patrick Mahomes, but just with Patrick Mahomes along for the ride. That's the showing of a complete football team. So very interesting stuff in Kansas City. The Chargers have found their quarterback. I talked about Joe Burrow and the Bengals and how they found their quarterback. Well, Justin Herbert has certainly become the man in L.A. with the Chargers. And while this is a team that isn't really all that good, and frankly, I think Anthony Lynn is in trouble. I'm going to get to the coaches in trouble eventually in this podcast. But right now, you look at what Herbert's doing. He's played five games, 67% completion percentage. He's thrown for 1,542 yards. That's over 300 yards a game average. 12 touchdowns, only three interceptions, quarterback rating of 108 in his first five games of his career. That's impressive. Plus, he's athletic, big, strong, cannon arm. What's not to like about Justin Herbert? Chargers, I think, are going to be a team around Herbert that maybe goes in a little bit of a different direction because now they got a guy who can throw it down the field big time. Phillip Rivers didn't have a big arm the last couple of years. We're seeing that in Indianapolis where he's struggled a little bit so far this year. Herbert is able to stretch the field. I would expect them to look to bring in speed to complement him as things go forward. Speaking of speed, a team with speed, and that speed's at the quarterback position, is the Arizona Cardinals. And this is a team that, Bills fans, you're going to see them in a couple weeks on the road. Kyler Murray, I don't know yet if he's a good quarterback He makes great throws. He's got the ability to make people miss that maybe second only to Lamar Jackson, or maybe it's better than Lamar Jackson. He is that quick and that elusive. But he is growing also as a young player. And on Sunday, he had a great game, 360 yards passing, ran the ball for 67 times, three touchdowns, did have a pick. But the Cardinals got Russell Wilson to throw three interceptions. That doesn't happen. So Russell Wilson throwing three picks is a bit surprising, but that is certainly something to keep an eye on going forward. Is it just Russell Wilson having one play, one game that was off, or is there something going on with it? He, his offensive line is not great, and as the Bills play them in a couple weeks, something, again, to think about going forward. The play of that game was DK Metcalf on Bubba Baker's interception. Metcalf chasing Baker down just 
an unbelievable effort play. Uh, yeah, the speed, the athleticism for, for DK Metcalf's freakish at his size, but the effort was fantastic, and it saved four points, and that's a real thing. His hustle play kept Baker out of the end zone. It also made the Cardinals try to score a touchdown, which they didn't, kick the field goal, four points because of effort. Huge, huge play. The last game I wanted to talk about from last weekend was the Raiders in Tampa game. Tom Brady is 43 years old. And while he's not the guy he was five years ago, in my opinion, man, is he still good. And and this Tampa team is getting better. They've figured out some things. They're working Gronk into it. Gronk again had touchdown this week, 60 yards plus receiving Brady over 300, 369, four touchdowns. Ronald Jones had had 300-yard games in a row. Running game wasn't there this week. The Raiders took that away. So what do they do? They throw over the top and Brady beats you. When you're multifaceted offensively, whether it's Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette running the football, if you have to have a team stop the run, it's only going to make things better for the wide receivers and the tight ends. With Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, they may be the best pair of wide receivers in the NFL. That is only going to make Brady more dangerous. Now, the interesting thing to me is the decision to sign Antonio Brown. And I don't know what Antonio Brown's going to be. The last time we saw Brown was last year with the Patriots, and he still looked like A.B. And he still acted like A.B., which is a bad thing. He gets a suspension over this week. He can be back in the facility if he passes all the COVID protocols next week and can play next weekend. So where it goes from here remains to be seen. But I think this is an interesting thing because Bruce Arians and and Antonio Brown, they didn't play nice in the sandbox when they were together in Pittsburgh. And I'm surprised that Arians allowed this to happen. But I want you to listen to Peter Schrager of the NFL Network describing how this came about. For you, tell us how this whole thing went down, my friend. That was very New York, Carissa, Peter Schrega. Um, this happened on Wednesday, and it came together rather quickly. The fascinating part about this is that Brady played such a role in making this happen. He not only recruited AB to come there, but he also spoke with team uh, leaders to make it happen. Here is the interesting part of the contract. It's very team-oriented. He gets a $750,000 bonus if they win the Super Bowl. That is not the usual thing. And that right there is nearly double what his base salary is. So there are incentives for him, but he's making barely above the league minimum for a veteran. It's basically a three-month rental because it's a one-year deal. And there is a huge incentive if they win the Super Bowl, even more so than individual accolades. The Buccaneers will play the Raiders today, but A.B. will not be on the field. That will be next week. They've got to go through all the COVID protocols. Can't even sign officially until Monday. Because the minute he steps out of line, I got to think that the Bucs say, no, enough, goodbye. They don't have money invested where it's going to hurt them with the cap for A.B., the fact that the incentives are all based on team wins, I, I think that's a good thing. It's not a me game, it's a we game. And and for 
Antonio Brown, he's the ultimate me guy. He's got to figure that out, and hopefully he does, and he's able to finish his career in a way that we're not talking about all the other stuff with Antonio Brown because what we've forgotten about him is that this guy was the best receiver in football for about a three-year period and put up numbers that nobody has put up in NFL history. So really, really interesting stuff there. Well, we're almost to the midseason point, and I always like to look at the coaches. We've already had two coaches fired, and traditionally you get between six and eight coaches to turn over in the course of a year. So with two down, that leaves potentially six more out there. And I'm not going to hit on probably somebody who may end up getting fired, but I want to go through guys that a lot of people are talking about that may get canned if the season continues on the way it is. Adam Gase is 0-7. In my opinion, the Jets know Adam Gase is gone. They also know that Adam Gase is their best conduit to a Trevor Lawrence situation. If Adam Gase is there, they simply will finish either winless or two wins. That's Their ceiling's two wins. If that's the case, I think they have a great shot at Trevor Lawrence. So that's why Adam Gase, in my opinion, stays and finishes out the season. Former Bills coach Doug Marone was, in my opinion, an interesting selection for the Jags a few years back. He hasn't really justified it. Instead, has taken what was a great defense that the Jags had assembled, and all of those pieces are playing elsewhere. Guys like Yannick Ngakwe and Jalen Ramsey, they're all playing in different cities now. The Jags have a very bad defense. You're not sure if you've got the right quarterback in Gardner Minshew. I mentioned Leonard Fournette. He's gone. And a lot of it wasn't because the players didn't perform. It was they weren't really in a situation that seemed to be working out. Now, you can blame every one of those players for being difficult, or you can look at the guy who's in the middle of it, Doug Marone. To me, Marone is not fit to be a head coach in the NFL. I didn't think he was a good hire by the Bills, although he seemed to do better than I expected. I didn't think he was a good hire by the Jags, and it's playing out. And I thought he would have got fired at the end of last year. He's definitely gone, in my opinion, this year. Matt Patricia has won a couple of games now, and the Lions are at 500. Maybe saving his job. He's still on the hot seat, but if they finish in the playoffs, I think Patricia keeps his job. And when you look at the fact that the Vikings are so bad, you look at the Bears being a paper line, the Rams blew them out on Monday Night Football, I think that the Lions have a chance to be second in that division to the Packers. And with Matthew Stafford playing good football, they could be a team that could sneak in. Now, remember, there's seven playoff spots now. So it's a possibility that the Lions do that and save their job. I mentioned the Vikings. Mike Zimmer has been a very good coach for a long time, and he's got some credibility and got a new contract extension in Minnesota. But this season has just been a disaster. They're one in one in five, and they look like they're one in five. They don't look better than they are, and so when you look at this team going forward, 
Kirk Cousins is likely gone. It's the third year of his third year deal. Zimmer is struggling. Is this a team now that goes forward with Mike Zimmer? Real, real question you have to ask. Similarly with Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn's in the fourth year of his time in, in LA with the Chargers. They haven't gotten over the hump at two and four. They've got their quarterback. But is Anthony Lynn the right guy to bring Justin Herbert all the way to where his potential hasn't been? Or would you be better served going to find a great offensive mind, maybe from the college ranks or somewhere else? Remember, the, the Chargers are in L.A. now. Eventually, that stadium is going to have fans in it. You need to have an interesting product. Not sure Anthony Lynn survives that. And the guy I say for last is Mike McCarthy. And we just talked about the Cowboys and the mess that the Cowboys have in the locker room. Mike McCarthy at two and five, I think is going to get another year. Whether or not he deserves that, we could debate all day long. And I wouldn't go to bat for Mike McCarthy deserving it at this point. The hire of Mike Nolan, it was paying back an old favor when Nolan gave McCarthy the OC job way back when. McCarthy pays it forward. Brings Nolan in as a defensive coordinator. Nolan's been a disaster. The highlight of his season was yesterday during a conference call. He got Tabasco on his finger and wiped his eye. That that didn't go well. That was the best thing he's done all year because at least it was entertaining. Jerry Jones doesn't like to pay coaches. That's why he went with the retread like Mike McCarthy instead of trying to lure some big college coach out of retirement, maybe Urban Meyer, maybe somebody else from the college. He won't do that. He's not going to allow somebody else to outshine him in the organization. He also doesn't like to pay coaches not to work. Jason Garrett, you could say he got fired, but Jason Garrett coached out his contract. They just didn't re-up him. They, They didn't fire him before his contract was out. They just chose not to give him a new contract. Jerry Jones doesn't spend what for a guy who spend money in a lot of places will overpay players. We see that, but he does not like to pay coaches, scouts, and it shows because you often get a Dave Campo to be your head coach, or you often get a guy like Mike McCarthy who seems right now halfway through, almost halfway through his first year, as being an absolute disaster. In Dallas, the only good thing, if you're a Cowboy fan like me, Jerry Jones on draft day is going to have an opportunity to screw up another top pick, and they didn't screw up this year's pick. People say, well, they didn't need Ant- they didn't need C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Why are they taking C.D. Lamb? Look, I'll defend that pick right here, right now. The one thing Jerry Jones did that was smart on draft day is he stuck to his draft board. When you go for need. If you draft somebody for need, you're drafting a player that isn't as highly ranked as the player you could be drafting. So you're much more likely to miss. So if you're in dire need of a position instead of the player that's available, the the guy like C.D. Lamb, you have to trade down. If you don't trade down, you take the best player, the surest thing, because otherwise you're more likely to miss. And if you don't trade down – you're Jerry Jones. Jerry doesn't like to trade down. 
trading down isn't something that's shiny and, and gets attention. That's not what Jerry Jones does. Jerry likes a splash. He likes to be, make the big play. He'll trade up. He won't trade down. So while I would have said if C.D. Lamb's there, you could take him, but the better play might be to trade down, people were saying they should have taken defensive player X or defensive player Y instead. I think they're missing the point. You stick to your draft board always. The only thing you do is you manipulate your draft position to make that draft board fill your needs better. And by doing that, you ensure those needs by getting extra picks. So interesting looking at the coaches halfway through the season, dead men walking, at least six of them very well could be coaching their way out of a big-time job. College football is now officially back. Pac-10 starts playing next weekend. Big Ten starts playing. started playing this week. And, and you had the usual suspects doing what you would expect. Wisconsin, they played great, but they've got issues now. They may be playing their fourth-string quarterback because of COVID protocols. And in the Big Ten, if a player gets COVID, he's going to miss 21 days of football. So, Wisconsin, though they had a big win and their quarterback looked great, no, they're going to be on a different quarterback the next time we see them play. Ohio State won big. Michigan rolled over Minnesota, a game that I was thinking Michigan might have trouble because of Minnesota's bringing back a bunch of players at home. Good chance for them to get off to a good start. But Harbaugh's crew and the spread offense looked very good week one. Rutgers beating Michigan State was one of those. Really? Hmm. That's interesting. Maybe Michigan State was hurt by players getting arrested. Maybe they were hurt by the fact that the athletic program covered up some things in a sexual assault case against a team doctor. Maybe all of those things happened, and now Michigan State's going to have a tough year because of it. But the surprise of the year was Penn State. Penn State loses a running back before the season begins because of a medical complication that happened to the young kid this summer, and I wish him the best. But they go into Indiana. When's the last time Indiana football was talked about ever? Penn State goes into Indiana, and you think, wow, this is this game that could be you know, a blowout. It wasn't. It ends up going to overtime, and I love that Indiana goes for two. And Penn State's done. Their chance at the playoff is done. You lose to Indiana on the road in opening day. You've just ended your season. So all these Penn State fans, and generally there's over 100,000 of them in Happy Valley when the situation is normal and we can get fans in the stadium, they now have to wait for another year for Penn State to be a significant football team. They waited two months longer than normal the season to start when the season starts it ends up ending when they lose to indiana on the road the world series game six is tonight the dodgers have a 3-2 lead this world series has been great tampa does things differently and i'm not on board with some of the things that they do and some of the pitching changes they make but let's be honest this has been fun Corey Seager is ridiculous. He's hitting 471 in the World Series. He's got a couple of HRs. 
If guys are on base, I'm walking Corey Seager. I'm not letting him beat me. You know, guys like Clay Bellinger, and I talked about him last week with the home run he hit. Bellinger is only three for 19 in the World Series. Much more so take my chances with him than Corey Seager, or take my chances with anybody than Corey Seager. He has been that good this postseason. Justin Turner, man, if you're like me and you're a Met fan, watching Justin Turner all these years excel in the playoffs the way he has, good thing the Mets decided not to keep him because I hate to see the man keeping the guy down. And if the Mets kept Justin Turner, it'd be the man keeping him down. Good for JT. Been a very good player, been a very good teammate. The Mets misjudged his person and decided they needed to let him walk away. Yeah, well, it's worked out pretty well for the Dodgers and for him. You've also got the Rays, guys like Manuel Margot, who's having a great World Series. Randy Aruzarena has been fantastic. The finish of Game 4 was just amazing. Brett Phillips gets it at bat that nobody thought he was going to get. The guy was a role player brought in for defense potentially. He's a 28th guy, maybe the 30th guy on a 28-man roster. Gets a hit. Where's Arena? Tumbles coming around home around third base. The ball gets by. You don't have the pitcher backing up the plate. And he scores the game-winning run. It's just been so fun. Tonight, Blake Snell goes for the Rays. I think that Snell tonight, let him let him pitch into the sixth or seventh. I know the Rays do what they do, but when your ace is on the hill and it's a must-win game, unless he gets in trouble, keep him out there. Let him go as long as he can. For the Dodgers tonight, Tony Gonsolin goes, and he hasn't had a ton of success. Best thing in sports is a game seven. I would expect the Rays tonight to come out, get ahead early, go to that bullpen late, and use that bullpen effectively. You need six innings from Blake Snell. If they get it, they win. If not, the Dodgers finally celebrate for the first time, and I think it's 32 years since they've won a World Series champion, although they seem to be there every year. haven't won in 32 years. Again, let's hope for Game 7 because there is nothing better in sports. The baseball has been very entertaining. And if you're bitching about things, the, the way the Rays do it, you're missing the point. Instead of bitching, just watch the games and enjoy it. Or if it pisses you off, turn it off. We don't have to all agree the way the game should be played. It's just fun to watch a team do what they do and and make plays and, and win games, in my opinion. That's just strange. That's it for this week. We'll talk next week again. Bills, Patriots, obviously, I said it earlier, must win. Have to do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is Falking Around.